at the AI Summit in London um, over a year ago, uh, the, the Envision Virgin Racing team, so Sir Richard Branson's team, uh, approached us knowing about our innovations in artificial intelligence and analytics and posed a question, uh, can you assist with our performance? Specifically getting the team to go faster, further, and safer. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. What does car racing have to do with financial services? Actually a lot. Many of the same dynamics persist. Improving car and driver performance, optimizing operations as sustainability, substitute financial performance, personalized product marketing, and risk management, and now you're talking about financial services. Can you identify patterns that provide better competitive insight and winning race strategies? Just as Moneyball revolutionized baseball, AI and predictive analytics are transforming Formula E racing. Formula E, by the way, has similar cars to Formula One, but they're electric. Richard Branson's Envision Virgin racing team approached financial services firm Genpact to see if it could improve the team's performance. Genpact's chief science officer, Armen Kalopian, joins us on the podcast to discuss how his team's advanced analytic solutions and race strategies help keep the racing team in the top three all season. Importantly, we talk about how this work can be applied to financial services and the role AI and predictive analytics tools will increasingly play for competitive firms. Armen Kerlopian is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. My name is Armen Kerlopian. I serve as Genpak's Chief Science Officer. At Genpak, we have 87,000 people and a major focus on financial services. In terms of my own journey, I am a research scientist. I was very fortunate early in my career to be part of a set of researchers that saw that biological neural networks could be transformed into artificial neural networks. And what all that means is, we're, is that pattern detection as related to AI is transforming financial services. And, um... And you had, you had a career previous to financial services as in academia, is that correct? Absolutely. So in my research, supported by the Department of Energy, National Science Foundation, it's very fortunate to also be a representative to the Lindau Nobel meetings. And all this really amounted to and came up to being was a unique opportunity of working with some of the world's fastest supercomputers. And so with that, it was very clear that the old ways of pattern detection would be supplanted. They would be overtaken by new forms of pattern detection. And the implications are quite profound, leading to the rise and launch of autonomous vehicles, to new ways of understanding and interacting with customers and financial services, to even items like protecting and utilizing more, more effectively precious resources, whether that's energy or capital. And I know you guys have done some work um, in applying some artificial intelligence, predictive analytics tools to, um, of all things, car racing. Can we, can we get into that? Because I, I find that fascinating. Absolutely. So our journey with Formula E so Formula E, similar to Formula One Premier Racing Series, with a market contrast, namely all-electric uh, racing. And uh, the vehicles themselves... So no roar of the engine, huh? No roar of the engine. 
So the, the locations, uh, and that, that's a fantastic uh, point there. It, tra it changes the nature of the race. The race can be much more intimate or closer. Mm. So the locales are similar. We have races in Hong Kong, in Santiago, Chile, in Sanya, China, Bern, Switzerland, Berlin, and we just completed a, a fantastic win in the finale race in New York City. But to your point, Zach, or to your comments, uh, the race is very close to the audience. So when you don't have that roar of the engine, you have more of a sound of a futuristic uh, spaceship. You can have families, fans much closer to the track. And the last one was in uh, Red Hook, Brooklyn, where uh, you, it was really just a, uh, a site like no other. Wow. So, so, so what were you doing in, in Formula E and how did Genpak get involved in, in Formula E? At the AI Summit in London um, over a year ago, uh, the, the Envision Virgin Racing team, so Sir Richard Branson's team, uh, approached us knowing about our innovations in artificial intelligence and analytics and posed the question, uh, can you assist with our performance? specifically getting the team to go faster, further, and safer. And there's an intriguing dynamic with the, these electric race cars is that in contrast to most races where you have a set distance, for example, the number of laps, here with electric car racing in Formula E, it's time boxed, 45 minutes plus one lap. Hmm. That difference is quite crucial because when the drivers start, they actually don't know how far they have to go. So the race winning really comes down to driver talent and how strong the algorithms are, which we're providing. So, so are those algorithms applied to driver strategy? I guess how he approaches the race, overtaking drivers, or is it more the path that he takes? How, yeah, how, do, you, how do you answer that? Yeah, we have a fantastic set of work streams. And, if, and in terms of the races themselves, they're, they're a bit something out of a, a thriller a movie where you have business, technology, operations, there's entertainment, there's sport all happening at the same time. And at the heart of this, we are enabling strategy around overtake. So a, a risk-adjusted return on energy usage. Uh, also in terms of overall strategy, how... For example, our British driver, Sam Bird, and our Dutch driver, Robin Fry, how they defend together, how they overtake together, how aggressively they run the race at what times. Oh, how so team dynamics the in there. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So, so how did you begin approaching this problem? Sir Richard Branson's team approaches you. you know, what, what do you do in the lab at that point you know, to start crunching the numbers? Yeah, so given our work at... Uh, across different industry areas. We first saw this as a critical uh, resource optimization challenge is one of the key work areas. So here, it's how do you get the most out of something that's constrained, the battery. And so we were able to cast it as an optimization challenge in exactly the same way, for example, in commercial analytics for a bank, we consider capital allocation for a marketing effort for a launch of a new product, as an example. Um, as a constrained resource, capital, how do you get the most for your constrained resource? And we were able to use 
mathematics associated with traditional optimization to that of one's increasingly advanced around deep learning. So how do we extract additional value from data uh, to make the team competitive? And then, and then once you started to compile that, that data, how was that fed then to the team? And how was that actually, like, what was your go-to-market strategy after, after you delivered that? Sure. It, this comes on a fascinating area, the, the interface of uh, AI systems. So if we consider um, briefly and in some structure, if we consider areas, foundational areas like uh, computer vision, working with image data, there is image data at play here associated with camera footage, satellite data, and we consider text data, natural language processing is an area. There's the regulations of the race as an item, there's social media data. And then if we consider different signals, um, whether that's across a network of drivers live during a race, it's graph analysis. And if we take that a level above, uh, machine learning being associated with making observations in new ways, and an advanced form being deep learning, which basically comes to having better ability to identify those patterns, then we roll up into an AI system we've developed for the team, which is really about action. And here, the interface is key. So our AI system that we've developed for the team, leveraging our best practices from financial services and other areas, has, in this case, the race engineer telling our drivers, go all out, or go for the overtake, or defend strongly. And that decision, that instruction to the driver is data-driven, and that's the key. You know, the, the interfaces have to be use case specific, whether it's customer service, whether it's a race car, whether it's product launch. And in this case, that's the critical link, the race engineer to the driver, which we are trusted to enhance. So what, what were some of, I mean, I don't, you don't have to get into actual the, the strategies themselves unless you think that's interesting, but like what were some, what were the takeaways from applying this, this strategy? Um, did the team improve or what, what was the level of improvement? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in terms of level of improvement, both of our drivers have finished the race season incredibly strongly. Uh, Robin Fryne, our Dutch driver, took first position in the finale race. And we were greatly appreciative of our drivers and the overall team's acknowledgement of our contributions. And uh, the, the output is measured in wins and points. And uh, we are most delighted that we are among the best. And we believe, you know, we've actually sparked a bit of a, a software war, so to speak, where the other teams are scrambling to, to match uh, our team's capability with algorithms. This is like money ball for racing, right? That's uh, exactly right. <laughs> that, that is exactly right. I had a, a brief, uh, brief exchange with uh, Billy Bean actually in the last few weeks. And uh, it's, it's really about a broader trend where we're seeing industry after industry you know, whether it's around capital markets, whether it's in financial services, uh, whether it's areas, you know, specific to consumer banking. Um, we're seeing this across all industry verticals. 
that what it means to be data-driven involves a new sophistication of algorithms, but also an aspect of culture. So in the same way leading Fortune 500 companies trust us to enable that digital transformation to them, which has being data-driven at its core, you have one, increased analytic capability, and two, also the courage around culture, whereby an industry leader believes that this is the way to win in the market. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, in that way, it's very much like Moneyball. Um, so I guess in the in the sort of back end of the conversation here, um, I'd love to take sort of the take some of the takeaways from from the car racing and apply that. You, you've sort of interwoven them throughout the conversation, Armen. But to, to to I guess to apply those to the financial services industry, like what given some of this like real time AI that you've applied to to optimize um, resource allocation within uh, th this 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 race car environment, like. Can we apply that to, to financial services today and what financial services may look like you know, a few years in the future? Yeah, absolutely. One item that's very clear in terms of a parallel is that in this 45 minute high comp competition race and that in financial services, the ability to, for an organization to acquire and to service customers uh, also, the sentiment around uh, an organization's internal staff uh, is paramount. The time scales are compacting. So, for example, some of our work in a related industry uh, regarding for, with Root, uh, so innovations in car insurance, or some of our work, for example, even drawing parallel between Bridgewater and Walmart, where we have uh, significant collaborations and engagements, the time scales of using data are just collapsing. In racing, it's quite acute. You know, an overtake being done or not done means the difference between standing on the podium or not. For a consumer bank, as an example, this means getting market share uh, and understanding the customers. And that ties back again to culture. Customers are expecting a type of service and engagement with their financial institutions that are very personal, that are no longer cookie cutter. And it again, comes back to data. So, so who wins in, in that type of world? It almost feels like there's like an AI arms race, right? Like where the people have the biggest armaments win. Um, is that the world that we're gonna play in? That, I mean, do the big get bigger because they have access to these types of tools? Yeah, I think that's an absolute key part of it, that organizations have to be very serious about AI and analytics, and what that means for a digital strategy. You know, there's this sentiment that if we look back in terms of industrial revolutions, that we had electricity that spawned all sorts of transformations within an industry, as well as across industries, the rise of the internet, and you know, whether the you know, mobile phones can be you know, thought of as an extension of that or you know, something new, here definitely the pattern detection ability of AI looks to be a third major trend. And so certainly companies will need partners or in-house capabilities or even better ecosystems that relate to their business model 
So it could be around data use, could be about go-to-market, could be fundamentally about enhancing the customer experience. So being serious about algorithms is indeed important, but the culture and courage are absolutely essential. We're gonna see right now that organizations that say they are data-driven will be tested because sometimes insights can be counterintuitive. You know, some of the, um, you know, taking an example from racing, you're able to find key patterns around specific terms uh, that were unintuitive to the team that they embraced, which led to better performance. Mm. And that's really what leadership is about, to take an insight and to drive it to an action. So for a bank uh, or, or even a fintech, it's a hypothesis about not where the market is, but where it is going. And you mobilize your organization ahead of that to win. Yeah, that's like kind of like the Wayne Gretzky quote, like skating to where the puck will be. Um, but in a way, do, do startups then have, have a leg up when it comes to culture that they can actually build this from the ground up as, as opposed to a larger incumbent that has to kind of go through a uh, almost, you know, like a, a rebirth process? Yeah, you know, con- contrasting, you know, startups and established organizations each has distinctive challenges and opportunities. So certainly a startup uh, won't be mired in legacy, uh, but they have challenges with scale. And uh, also importantly, if a startup is too well-funded too early, that is an opening for sloppiness potentially. Uh, In contrast, a large organization will have scale but the past precedents will dictate um, loss in this discussion, namely what, comp- what business is that organization in versus what it should be. And yes, absolutely a bit Wayne Gretzky-esque and uh, certainly the technology is different than puck and stick, <laughs> but uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's really about vision is what it, to bridge the two. And as GenPact works across like sort of subsectors of financial services, where, where do you see like the subsectors um, that are most directly impacted um, to this changing world today? I think one item, and this intersects with the, the startup culture and tech culture more broadly, engagement with the regulators. So for example, as I, uh, Myself, I'm trained as a biophysicist, seeing firsthand, you know, neural networks being modeled and then applied in all sorts of industries. Engagement with the regulators is increasingly important, both for startups and established organizations. So the the point I'll assert here is that organizations that have a strong sense of their ecosystems will be more successful than those that don't. And that includes customers, includes competitors, includes suppliers, includes regulators, and uh, and those will be the organizations that will win. So, does it almost sound like? From it sounds to me like from what you're saying, it's, there there are these distinct ecosystems being built that include partners, competitors, customers, suppliers. Um, are we looking at sort of like a cartels obviously has a negative like you know connotation to it but are we looking at like for this really to work like 
all those different pieces being working together in a way? Yes, you know, certainly cartel has a, a certain connotation. I would use the word consortium, perhaps. Better. Two, three anchor. And this is really one of the most exciting things about enterprise uh, technology. Um, if you get two, three large organizations plus one regulator to move, that represents the backbone of the world, essentially. Mm. So um, I find that quite inspiring. And uh, in my post at GenPact, you know, we are privileged to uh, play a role in such transformations, whether it's in areas like drug safety, anti-money laundering, uh, insurance claims. And I think uh, organizations, whether they're a startup, uh, they can be a, a, an innovation unit associated with a company or even within a regulator, or those that are proactively engaging with sentiments around data, data use and fairness, uh, those consortiums will, will be the ones that win. Absolutely. One last question for you in the remaining time that we have. Um, it's clear to me, you know, how this is being used for risk management, how it's being used for marketing and distribution um, decisions. Um, can you see sort of AI and predictive analytics making its way into product development? So specifically financial services product development. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there is there is a trend of personalization that is going across different markets. I mean, even if we take an example from, uh, from medicine, now it's possible to do precision medicine where diagnoses are based on an individual's genome, a most personal type of data. The, the insure techs are attacking in terms of the ability to provide personalized products uh, to consumers uh, based on driving behavior, as an example. And large organizations are more than responding in kind and launching their own innovations. So the reason the time is now is that it's possible to have highly granular data about an individual. And if a consumer in earnest has an insurer or a bank um, as part of their life for their family, for themselves, um, I'm optimistic we'll see uh, innovations in that personalization that serve the customer and are not just meant for data resale. And again, that's the line that organizations need to um, respect uh, in being part of these, these consortiums that can serve as a beacon for industry and society. That's a really interesting point. And I think that also sort of speaks to the race right now. One of the, one of the topics that we're covering uh, a lot, um, a lot of the newer fintechs are coming out with um, basically savings accounts. There's like a race, you know, like these high yield savings accounts. And, you know, on the, on the surface, it's really just to get assets, right? And they're sticky assets. They're permanent assets they can use to make money or to lend out. But on the other hand, from what you're saying, it, it actually, the, if, if you look at the, the savings account or the, the checking account, right, the core primary bank account that we all use, it is so rich with data, you know, with money coming in and money coming out, it really serves as the backbone of an individual's financial life. And that, that is so rich in, in information that, you know, from there you can, you can think about creating um, personalized products. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is where... This is where it seems the world is uh, world is headed. 
And uh, Zach, I'd be curious, you know, with your uh, with your experience, what do you think this uh, this trend of uh, personalization and data? What are things organizations should be considering? It's interesting because we, we're almost we've been talking about the opposite happening right now, and, and sort of this uh, features parity that uh, is happening as innovative companies launch new products. Um, their competitors launch the same thing. And so it's almost like the commoditization of all these products. So like at a certain point right now, a lot of the offerings look the same. And so the only differences you have from these organizations are their marketing strategies or their brands. Um, I don't think we've yet gotten to the point um, where we're looking at personalized services. Instead, we're seeing sort of niches, right? So like there are new um, banks being launched every day, focus on a very like, linear sort of vertical market um, with services that are specific to that market. So I haven't seen, we haven't seen at least on the show that make its way to the personalization, but more towards like uh, more target demographic, uh, put it that way. Yeah, it's intriguing, intriguing, Zach. It brings to mind this idea of customer service being an operation versus being a differentiator in brand. Yeah. And a lot of these sort of classic items that have been dormant really come to the forefront because it relates to lifestyle, it relates to brand, it relates to trust. Um, one thing is def things are definitely accelerating. So we're, uh, we're playing, we're paying co- close, close attention for sure. Armin, thanks so much for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. It's my pleasure, Zach.